0: in concluding our our study on 1 Peter. We've been talking about 1 Peter in relation to uh, living in the end times and how to live in the end times victoriously as overcomers, conquerors, victors, and not, not, uh, not losers. How to be the salt and the light in the last days i think god has chosen us to be alive today because he wants to use us today he doesn't he doesn't want we're not on the shelf we're not we're not being kept in reserve we're not god's reserves for a later time but we got see god doesn't he doesn't live in the past he lives now he's the god of now and Mm -hmm. our faith is not uh, it's not for any other time but now. It's now faith is. And so people, a lot of times, they get caught up thinking about the future. You know, if you listen to most Christian radio stations and you listen to the songs, most of the songs are about dying and going to heaven. Well, I thank God that one day, you know, uh, we will all be there. we're we're going to to heaven we have a home we have a place a destination but we're not supposed to live this life just waiting for going to heaven we're supposed to occupy while, while we're here the word occupy doesn't mean sit on your keister and do nothing the word occupy means to take charge take over rule the Bible says we're to rule and reign in life through Christ Jesus. So you have life now. God's God's desire and His purpose for you is to is to be on the ruling side of life, to be on the reigning side of life. Amen. And He's given us all the tools and all the materials we need to to uh, succeed. Can you say praise the Lord? All right. Well, let's let's read Second uh, Peter, First uh, Peter. I'm sorry, First Peter, chapter five, and I'm going to read it in the King James, and then we're going to just kind of go through it quickly in the Amplified. But first, the King James: "The elders which are among you, I exhort, who am also an elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ." And also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind, neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being in samples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd shall appear, you shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. I think Jimmy was talking about crowns the other night. Well, here's a crown, the crown of glory. That's reserved for for the elders, for the shepherds. Likewise, you younger submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. You've heard that before. James says, you know, that God resists the proud. And uh, and, uh, so here we see it again. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. There's that scripture. We love that scripture, don't we? Be sober. Be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour whom resist steadfast in the faith knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world but the god of all grace who has called us unto his eternal glory by christ jesus after that you have suffered a while Make you perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Now that's the end of his sermon. And then we have his salutations. Verse 12, by Silvanus, a faithful brother unto you, as I suppose. I have written briefly, exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God, Wherein you stand. Now, Savannas is the proper name for Silas. Mm-hmm. You know, remember Paul and Silas. And, well, uh, uh, Sil- Silas is with Peter here, and he's doing the he's doing the writing. Peter's dictating, and 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 Silas is is recording what he's saying. Now, I don't know when. Uh, Silas joined Peter, but uh, it might have been it might have been after after Paul got ar- arrested in Rome. He and so you know, but he's he's a faithful brother, so it's not a surprise to see him popping up here, Amen. because Silas is just that kind of a guy, stand up guy. Now, verse thirteen: the church that is at Babylon. Notice that the word church there is in italics because I think uh, does your Bible say she who is at Babylon? Anybody's Bible say that? NIV? The NIV says she that is at Babylon. And here it says, the church that is at Babylon, elected together with you, saluteth you, and so doth Marcus, my son. Mark. Now, there's, there's two ways of looking at this. One is Peter traveled with his wife. She could have been the she that he's talking about because she traveled with him. You remember her, 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 her death? She was, she was martyred. She died by crucifixion in front of Peter. And uh, tradition says that Peter encouraged her to uh, endure until the end because, you know, we're going to be together soon. In, in 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 heaven and and so he was there encouraging her and she she gave her life before he gave his life mm-hmm. and uh the the marcus there it, it could be it could uh, most people believe it's mark the author of the gospel of mark right. who uh traveled with peter and a lot of people believe that the gospel of mark was just Mark writing down what he saw and heard from Peter, so the Mark is like Peter's version of what happened, and uh, and Mark is the one who wrote it all down, just like Luke is the one who wrote down Luke, but Paul was the one that was uh, and he, that he was traveling with, and uh, and so a lot of folks believe that this is that Mark, the the one. Remember when Barnabas and Paul had a disagreement over a guy named Mark, and uh, uh, Paul said get rid of him, and Barnabas says, "Well, I'm going to just take him with me." And they went together. And later Paul says, "Send me Mark. He's uh, he's useful for me now." Well, a lot of folks believe that's the one. That's one and the same guy. Others say that if the she that, that he's talking about here is his own wife. This Marcus could be his own literal physical son. See, we don't think of these guys, Peter and Paul and John and Barnabas and Silas and these guys. We don't think of them as family men, but they were family men. They had wives. Now, the speculation is that Paul, when Paul was converted, that his wife left him. She did not want any part of this Jesus thing and uh, but you can tell by the way Paul uh, talks about marriage, especially in first and second Corinthians the way he talks about marriage he talks about marriage from a guy who sounds like he's been there yeah. and uh, and uh, but he never remarried and then of course Peter's wife traveled with him and and laid down her life with him and and we don't know about the other apostles, but uh, they, weren't, they weren't all single men. Amen. Okay? I know y'all waited all day to hear that. But see, the Bible doesn't tell us everything about everybody. And you say, well, is it important to know if that's either the church at Babylon or is it uh, uh, Peter's wife? It doesn't change the message, it doesn't change uh, the sermon. Does it? No. And so I'm not gonna I'm not gonna waste a whole lot of time studying it out and finding out the details because I'm not really a trivia person. Matter of fact, you play trivia with me, you're 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 likely to win. I'm more of a I'm more of a concept person and a and a. A big picture person, and and so like when I watch movies with Ruth, she's sitting there saying, "Oh, where do we know her from?" I said, "I don't know her," (laughs) and she said, "Oh yeah, we 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 saw her in such and such movie, and we saw her in such and such movie," and and I look at her, and you know, she's talking through the movie, and I'm saying, "I don't care." Or she'll say, oh, yeah, he's, he was married to this other actress. And and, uh, and I, I'm saying, I don't care. These people are not real. It's a cartoon, you know. You might as well tell me about olive oil, you know, and her sister and where she came from and what other cartoon was olive oil in, you know. To me, they're not real. Amen. And and really I don't care about which which Marcus this was. <laughs> Do you? All right, so you know we're not gonna we're not gonna argue about things like that. Oh, and the word Babylon is used there. And everybody says that, that Peter wrote this from Rome. But Peter says that he wrote it from Babylon. Boy, Peter's really messed up on his geography. I'm telling you, he he's kind of like somebody else we know. You're you're not in Philadelphia, you know. <laughs> how many how many of you believe that that Peter knew where he was? Well, you know, he says the people at Babylon. You know where I, I believe he was in Babylon. But you look at the commentary, all the commentaries say that he was in Rome. There's only one Roman historian who is not even a Jew or a Christian. A pagan Roman historian only one time mentions Peter in Rome. Now the Catholic Church has got this whole thing about Peter being in Rome. He's the first pope. He's crucified upside down because he refused to be crucified same way Jesus was. And all this is supposed to have happened in Rome. But there's no written historical evidence to that fact. It's all tradition. And I ask you, what difference does it make? If God wanted us to know these trivial facts, he would have recorded them in the scriptures wouldn't he? But what is recorded in the Scripture? Babylon. (laughs) Well, come to find out, when the Jews were taken captive into Babylon, when they got their freedom under uh, Nebuchadnezzar, and he said they could go back to their homeland, most of them didn't go back. Most of them stayed right there because they had made lives for themselves. And so when the gospel spread, it spread to Babylon because of all the Jews that were there, and there was a huge Christian uh, congregation in Babylon. Amen. Now, there's no record that Paul was ever there except this. So I just kind of leave that with you. You figure it out. But if you look in all the commentaries and all that, everything is based upon that Catholic tradition. But there's no uh, historical evidence to back it up. Just tradition. So what difference does it make? Doesn't change the message, does it? I don't even know why I'm I'm, I'm mentioning it. I skipped over everything else and got down to the salutation. (laughs) Verse 14, greet you one another with a kiss of charity. Other places, uh, Paul would say, greet one another with a holy kiss. Peace be with you all that are in Christ Jesus. Amen." Amen. In those days, the holy kiss was often called the kiss of peace. It literally meant this. When you go up to somebody and you kiss them on the cheek, you're saying to them, there is unity between us. There are no offenses between us. There's nothing between us but love and fellowship and unity, peace. That's why it was such an offense when Judas went into the Garden of Gethsemane and in in order to betray Jesus, he gave him the kiss of peace. Because Jesus knew what was in his heart. And it was a violation of the whole idea of the kiss of peace. And, uh, and so uh, that's, that's the significance of, of that. Now, over the centuries, we have fallen away from that practice, and there are several reasons for it. One was it, it could easily get perverted. People going up to people and giving them a kiss on the cheek led to other things. And then, uh, uh, as time went on, a lot of churches would say only the men kiss men and the women kiss the women. But nowadays, even that would be considered a perversion. So it's a it was a wonderful tradition when people knew what it meant, but when it lost its meaning and lost its uh, kind of lost its purpose and just became custom, then it was easily perverted into other things. And uh, so we don't advocate people going around giving each other a holy kiss. Amen. Especially in this day and age where uh, there's all kinds of perversions and then there's COVID and other things, you know, that people just, it's just not, it doesn't work for us. But it doesn't mean we shouldn't strive that there be peace between us. We can still walk up to somebody and say, peace, brother. Peace. Amen? Praise God. Okay, well, let's go back now to the first uh, uh, of the chapter, verse 1, and he he starts off by talking uh, to the elders of the church. Now, that term elder is a term that has existed since Moses and the children of Israel in the wilderness. If you'll remember, first mention we have of elders in the Bible are when Moses was being overwhelmed with just taking care of the people in the wilderness that his father-in-law, Jethro, (laughs) came to him and said, Moses, you're not doing good. You're going to kill yourself trying to take care of all these people by yourself said, you need to appoint elders from among the people, people that everybody trusts, people that have some maturity on them, people that have a good uh, reputation, people that have wisdom and a good temperament, and you need to appoint them to help you with the administration of of uh, all the legal matters and all, the, all these other matters and, and judging the people. Amen. And so he took 70 people out from among all the tribes and he had, he had the tribes pick them. Send me your, ma- mainly, send me your wisest, most mature, uh, most even-tempered uh, individuals and uh, send them to me. And he appointed them elders. And so the term elder uh, became uh, established as part of of God's governmental system among his own people. And and from then on, uh, the elders were always present in the story. Um, Didn't necessarily mean it was old men. But, but we're talking about mature people who who could lead, and a lot of a lot of people at a young age exhibited all these qualities, and so they were able to they were able to step up and be elders in the in the community. People like Joshua, remember Joshua? He was considered a young man uh, when when he took on responsibility and became kind of like the aide to Moses. He became Moses. Kind of right-hand guy, him and her, and Aaron. Aaron was the priest, but the, these were all elders, and uh, and they they uh, uh, they made they lightened the load of Moses. Well, down through history, uh, the church was born, and the church be- began, you know, continued that uh, that idea of eldership. Uh, remember when Paul went back to Jerusalem for the last time and they called for the council uh, in, there in Jerusalem and he reported on his missionary journeys and all that and, and uh, then the council uh, discussed uh, all the Gentiles coming, in, coming into the church and then they gave a, a ruling about how to handle the Gentiles that were coming into the church just tell them not to eat things that are mingled with blood, and and to uh, avoid uh, fornication and and uh, such things. And they didn't require them to meet all the Jewish ritualistic laws and things. And and then they they said, you know, if God's saving them, we're accepting them. And uh, but in that council were the elders. It says it actually says uh, that he appeared to the elders. And so, elders have always have always been present for uh, in in, uh, in God's economy of government, God's God's government, for four thousand years. Mm-hmm. See Moses in the wilderness—that's four thousand years ago. Mm-hmm. And elders are still in the church today. James says, "If there be any sick among you, let them call for the elders of the church." Yeah. Well, who's that? What's well, the leadership? It's the trusted ones, the people that people have confidence in. And a lot of places that you know they 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 equate elders with the ordained ministers, but that's not really that's not really. Uh, I mean, in those churches, that's the way it is because that's the way they say it is. But but an elder an elder can be anyone who who is uh, uh, is a mature Christian that people respect and and can trust amen so we call for the elders of the church many times we're, we're calling for the ordained ministry but really if i just want ordained ministers I, i'll just call for the ordained ministers we've got several here half the people in this room <laughs> you know but if i if i call for elders you know, I'm I'm basically I'm a, I'm leaving it wide open to anyone who feels like they've got the faith to pray. You know, and come on down. You know, we'll we'll all gather. Our church is our church is the size that we can all gather around somebody and pray for them. Amen. 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 Praise Lord. God. Sandy's telling me where to stand. <laughs> <laughs> Amen. that back there. Praise the Lord. Now, the elders are supposed to warn and counsel the, the flock. Wait a minute. Verse 1 says, I warn and counsel the elders, the pastors, the spiritual guides of the church. As a fellow elder and as an eyewitness, see, Paul calls himself an elder even though he's an apostle. I mean, Peter. By the way, Peter is always listed first. Anytime you see a list of the apostles, Mm -hmm. Peter's always first. So a lot of people uh, considered him the chief apostle. But he considers himself just one of the elders. He humbles himself and puts himself in the same category as the other elders. And he says, uh, I'm a fellow witness, an eyewitness of the sufferings of Christ. Remember, he was there. Even though he was warming his hands at the wrong fire and even though he denied Jesus, he saw the suffering that his denial caused Jesus. And even though he wasn't at the foot of the cross, you can't convince me he wasn't somewhere on the hillside watching what was going on. And he witnessed his suffering in the Garden of Gethsemane. You remember he was there. He's the one who caught off Malchus' ear. And uh, and he uh, uh, and he was he was there after the resurrection, so you know he witnessed the whole he witnessed the whole thing, and he probably witnessed some of the sufferings that the others didn't witness, because he's the one who caused the betrayal. And uh, uh, or the denial, not the betrayal, but the denial. And uh, and so he. he he saw all these things and then he says as well I was a sharer in the glory that is to be revealed disclosed and unfolded. Remember on the Mount of Transfiguration Peter, James and John went with Jesus up the mountain and they saw Jesus transformed so they saw him transfigured and, and he glowed with the glory and they were so Moved by what they saw, they wanted to build, they wanted to build temples there on top of the mountain. Jesus says, you're being ridiculous. And, uh, but, you know, they, he, they witnessed, they saw just a taste of the glory that is later to be revealed in Jesus. So, uh, he, he says, you know, I'm, I'm qualified here. I'm qualified to, to, uh, to give you this charge. Here's what you're supposed to do, verse 2. Now, I'm going to read from the Amplified. Tend, which means nurture, guard, guide, and fold the flock of God that is your responsibility, not by coercion or constraint. In other words, you're not going to do this because God's making you do it. Do it because you're willing to do it. Do it because it's a joy to you to do it. It's your reasonable service. A lot of people are in the ministry, and the only reason they're in the ministry is because they think God is making them be in the ministry. Well, people like that don't last. You've got to enjoy what you're doing. not by coercion or constraint, but willingly, not dishonorably motivated by the advantages and profits belonging to the office, but eagerly and cheerfully. Now, there are folks, you know, who they, they want to be leaders in the church because they can get close to the power and close to the money and, and the prestige. They can sit up front in the deacon's benches. Notice we don't have any. Deacons aren't supposed to be sitting. They're supposed to be serving. We don't provide deacon benches. (laughs) Amen. But I've been in churches where, you know, they, they were more into the prestige of it than they were into the serving. And Paul is saying, you know, it's all about serving. It's not about prestige, and it's not about profit. Amen. Elders are often called upon you know, to sacrifice their own money. Like when I, when there's a note to be signed. Who puts their name on that note? Well it's it's not the rank and file member, it's usually the it's usually the the leadership. Yeah. The elders. So they're 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 putting more on the line than they're getting out of it. Y'all hear that? Amen. So uh, you're not supposed to do this uh, begrudgingly, but eagerly and cheerfully. So the elders, the elders that serve among us need to be doing it cheerfully and with the right motives. And then verse 3 says, Not domineering as arrogant, dictatorial, and overbearing persons over those in your charge. But be examples, patterns, and models of Christian living. Be an example to the flock, the congregation. Uh, 1 Timothy 4:12, Paul tells Timothy, let no man despise your youth, but be an example of the believers in word, conversation, purity, faithfulness, uh, I list several things there, but you're to be you, even though you're a young man, see Timothy was a young man, but he was the pastor of the church. Not just any church, the largest Christian church in the world it's estimated it had about a hundred thousand members in Ephesus, and this young pastor was appointed the chief elder in that church. See, everywhere Paul went, he set up elders. And then they were were to organize the church and take care of the church and and, uh, shepherd the flock. So Timothy, he said to Timothy, don't let people despise you because you're young. Be an example. Be an example of the believers in all things. Well, he's telling, he's telling uh, us here, uh, Peter's telling us the same thing. He says, when the chief shepherd is revealed, you will win the conqueror's crown of glory. And we've been talking about being an overcomer. There's a crown of glory reserved for elders who do their job well. And we're not just talking about the pastors. We're talking about everybody that's in leadership. That's right. If you do your job well, there's a conquerors. What is it? What did we conquer, by the way? You got know, I, I think we conquered our own feelings. We conquered our own uh, yeah. human frailties. We conquered our own offenses. You know. Because I guarantee, you, if you serve in the house of God, you're gonna you're gonna have offenses will come. Brother Jimmy's been talked talked about that in our Bible study, uh, the importance of dealing with offenses and not letting offenses remain in our in our lives because they poison and they're like a cancer. Well, so if you overcome offenses, then you're a conqueror. Because not everybody's going to say nice things about you. Not everybody's going to treat you right. You talk about church hurt and church burnt. You've heard those terms? I always look at people when they tell me that, and I think, big deal. I've been in church all my life. I've been a leader since I was 21. Mm -hmm. Well, before that, I was the youth leader. So I've been a leader in church since I was a teenager, since I had a driver's license. <laughs> and every offense just about and every hurt that I've ever endured came from came from the church. I've had churches, you know, I've, I've had deacon board call me in on my 30th birthday and tell me, we appreciate everything you've done here. We appreciate all your sacrifice and all the accomplishments that we've made. And, and uh, you've been a great pastor these 9 years and and uh, we we think it's time for you to move on. I know you told me. am not going I'm not going to call any names. This is going out to the whole world. <laughs> on my birthday. My 30th birthday. And, uh, you know, was I offended? Yeah, I was offended. Was I hurt? Yeah. Was I blindsided? You bet. I mean, the guy that typed up the letter on his typewriter was my golfing buddy and my hunting buddy. You know. (laughs) We were, I thought this guy was, well, the day before, the day before that meeting, he took me out to this restaurant, bought me some catfish. Out in the parking lot afterwards, I'm thanking, him for, I'm thanking him for the dinner, you know. And he put his arm around me and he said, I love you, Pastor. That night, he typed up this, this demand for me to resign. You know, happy birthday. Happy birthday. Jay's know what I'm talking about. You know, they've been through a few of those little church hurt type situations, But what do you do? You conquer it. You overcome it. You forgive and you forget and you move on. You say, Pastor, don't sound to me like you forget. I'll tell you what, the hurt and pain of it is not here anymore. It's not there. And I can meet any of those people today and I I could be glad to see them. Matter of fact, a couple of them are my are Facebook friends. I still communicate with them. But you cannot live life without offenses. And if you're in leadership, it's just going to be multiplied. you got to grow thick skin, people. You can't be worried about everything that people say. You are, a, you are there to serve them, not to, uh, uh, not to please them. There's a difference. You can't please them. So what are we to do? Well, he says, uh, verse 4, he says, when the chief shepherd is revealed, you'll win the conqueror's crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger and of lesser rank, be subject to the elders, the ministers and spiritual guides of the church. So those of us that are younger or less experienced in God, or less experienced in the things of of the church, we need to defer to those who are experienced. We need to respect our elders. How many of you were taught as a kid to respect your elders? You know, they're not teaching kids that anymore. They don't even know what an elder is. Respect your elders. I, I grew up with things like... Don't speak unless you're spoken to. You're there to be seen, not heard. Shut your mouth. <laughs> you know, I grew you know. And I think I came out all right. Amen. I've conquered. <laughs> Praise the Lord. He says, give them due respect and yield to their counsel. Clothe or apron yourselves, all of you, all of us, we're to clothe ourselves or apron ourselves with humility as the garb of a servant so that its covering cannot possibly be stripped from you. That means tie it on real tight with freedom from pride and arrogance toward one another. This, uh, this this clothe yourself, it, lit- it literally means to tie on the slave's apron. To tie on the slave's apron and tie it into a knot so it won't come off. We're, t- we're supposed to put on humility like a slave would put on his apron and go to work. it's it's an apron of servitude. Jesus exhibited this when he took the towel and and he 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 wrapped he wrapped an apron around himself. He girded himself with a with with an apron, tied it just like the slaves tied theirs, and then he took up a towel and some water and he knelt down at his disciples' feet and he washed their feet. Jesus was actually portraying this very thing that Peter's talking about. Peter's probably remembering this as he's writing. He said, For God sets himself against the proud, the insolent, the overbearing, the disdainful, the presumptuous, and the boastful, and he opposes, frustrates, and defeats them. God doesn't like prideful, insolent, overbearing, presumptuous braggers. Don't be that person. Amen? Because God says, I'll, I'll get in their way. I'll oppose them and I'll frustrate them and I'll, I'll defeat them. I don't, I don't want God against me. amen? I can't imagine anything more horrible. Than to be on God's bad side. But he gives grace, favor, blessing to the humble. Therefore, humble yourself. Do it to yourself. Demote, lower yourself in your own estimation. Under the mighty hand of God that in due time he may exalt you. And this is not a false humility. A false humility where you're humbling yourself and Okay, God, time Okay God, I'm here I'm doing it now. You've got to exalt me. Now you humble yourself and you be amazed and surprised when your promotion comes. Amen. Amen.. Like that little lady over there in England you know who was just one of the members of parliament just doing her job and they needed somebody to replace the prime minister and next thing you know she's standing before the queen of england getting the blessing to be the prime minister of great britain Amen. 2 days before queen elizabeth died her last act she she uh, installed that little ceremony was the installation of this prime minister she installed this woman to be prime minister who just weeks before never even dreamed that she'd be there. It's kind of like that fellow Joseph in the Bible. One day, all he wants is out. All he wants is out of the prison. Just just get me out of here. Next thing you know, He's the prime minister over all of Egypt. And it ha- listen, folks, it happened in one day. If you'll live a self-humbling life, if you just live a self-humbling life and clothe yourself as a servant and behave as a servant, when God's ready, He'll put you up higher. And it'll 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 surprise you and it'll surprise everybody. Well, it may not surprise anybody else, but it'll surprise you. Amen? And then two more things and we'll we'll close. Verse 7. He says, Cast your cares over on the Lord, right? The amplified says, casting forcefully. Actually, the amplified doesn't say forcefully. I said it. Casting the whole of your care, all your anxieties, all your worries, all your concerns, once and for all, on Him. For He cares for you affectionately and cares about you watchfully. That word, that word casting is, is, a, is a violent action word. It means with great force. Like like if you're you know stream fishing, you got to take that that line with the hook on it, and you got to throw it way out there. Anybody ever cast a fishing line? I've gotten into all kinds of trouble doing that. <laughs> it is a skill. You need to become skillful at casting your cares on the Lord. Uh, I was I was. Talking about this last Wednesday night, and uh, I I asked him. I said, you know, have you ever gotten a little sticky note stuck on your finger, and you want to get out rid of it, and it just won't go, or maybe a piece of tape, and you just, you 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 flick it, and you flick it, and you shake it, and you flick it, and you shake it, and you flick it and flick it, and flick it. And flick it. Get off. I mean, you put your foot on it and it sticks on your shoe and, and you're kicking it and you're kicking it and you're kicking it. You grab it with your hand and get it off your shoe and it's stuck on your hand again and you go flicking it. Anybody ever been there? Well, there's all kinds of sticky things that can get on your fingers and you can't get rid of them. It takes violent thrusting. That's what Peter says you've got to do with your cares. All your anxieties, all your worries, all your concerns, once and for all, flick it off at the feet of Jesus. Because he'll take care of it. He'll take care of it. One of the, one of the common salutation in our culture it's when we're saying goodbye to somebody, we wave at them and say, take care. (laughs) Well, folks, if you look that up in the dictionary, you're telling those people, take anxiety, (laughs) take worry, take uh, uh, depression, take fear, take foreboding, take all these negative emotions, take them, take care. I guess you're saying, take mine. (laughs) Oh, right. Here, before you leave, would you take out the trash for me? Take care. We really don't mean that, do we? It's better to say, be blessed. Amen. Be blessed. Amen? Uh, how many of you have said, take care all your life? My friend Ricky Fowle, uh, he's kind of a perfectionist kind of a guy, you know, Teacher. People say, take care to him. And he said, no, thank you. Uh, He said, I'll take Jesus. You take care. I'll take Jesus. And that's what we're choosing between. You want your cares or you want Jesus? Jesus will take care of it. Amen. And then the next thing he says to you is about the devil. He says, be well balanced, temperate, sober of mind, be vigilant and cautious at all times for that enemy of yours, the devil roams around like a roaring lion in fierce hunger seeking someone to seize upon and devour. What he's supposed to do about him? He said withstand him firm in the faith. You don't run from the devil. You stand up to him. Withstand him, use your faith and face up the devil. Resist him, James said. Resist him and he will flee from you. So we're supposed to cast all of our cares and worries over on Jesus and resist the devil. These are the final words of Peter's letter. Give Jesus all your troubles And use your faith against the devil. Amen? And then he ends with peace. Be at peace. Can you say praise the Lord?